This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a 10-week series on the book of Jeremiah, and we're doing this in connection with other churches throughout our diocese. Um, as you listen, so if you've got your Bible open to Jeremiah 18, we'll be studying it today. If you notice at the beginning of the passage, the main metaphor that we'll be dealing with is the metaphor of a potter working with clay. Now, if I were creative and if I were Father Matt Woodley, I'd probably have some clay right here on the stage. I'd have a, even like a potter's table and, and I would spin it around and, and I'd have clay for every one of you. And even the folks watching at home, I don't know how I'd do it, but I would, if I were Father Matt, I would do that. But since I'm not Father Matt, I'm Father Lame Lame Lame, we're just going to have to pretend, all right? But now you're going to have to do this with me. I'm going to look ridiculous, so you got to do this with me. Everybody, get out your clay. Okay, reach down. Get, it's kind of heavy. All right, put it on the table. All right, some of you are doing it. Some of you are disobedient. <clears throat> put it on the table. All right, start spinning that clay. All right, it's spinning. Now start fashioning it with your hand. All right, see, it's, it's, it's a vase. It's starting to take shape. Oh, no, it's getting off center, and the centrifugal force of the wheel is causing it to lose its elegant symmetry, and now it looks like E.T., the extraterrestrial. Okay, everybody, take your lump of clay, fold it back in, kind of push it down. Got to start over. All right, so at the beginning first four verses of your text here, this is basically what God said to Jeremiah. All right, go down to the potter's house and watch and see what happens. So Jeremiah goes down. He watches the potter. And while the potter is working at the clay, the clay gets spoiled. And so the potter reworks the clay. So now look at verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, the Lord's saying, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The image of the potter and clay is familiar in Scripture. It shows up a couple times in Isaiah. And with it usually is this subtle rebuke. The Lord is saying, you've forgotten who's the potter and who's the clay. Remember, I'm the potter, you're the clay. Remember, I have power. I have the authority. I'm the one in control. And what I need from you is to be supple and soft, malleable in my hands so that I can shape you how I wish. Who's God here? It's me, he's saying. But look at verse 15. My people have forgotten me. They have made offerings to false gods. Uh, So throughout this study in the book of Jeremiah, we've been talking a lot about idols. And, And we've mentioned that, yes, for us in the 21st century, we don't suffer too much from the temptation to worship graven images carved out of wood, stone or metal, but we've, we've done a good job to say, and the New Testament tells us also that idols can be anything. We make an ultimate thing of anything. Money, success, pleasure, these all can be idols. We, we've talked about that over the last few weeks. You get the idea. But what we haven't yet said, and what is perhaps the strongest, sneakiest, most seductive idol of them all, is the idol of me, myself, and I. 
when I want to put myself in the place of the potter, when I want to make myself the ultimate authority, that is the strongest idol. That's the sneakiest idol. It's the most seductive. We are, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be God of my own life? That's even more tempting than money or success or pleasure. This idol, the idol of me, myself, and I, that's the root of them all. It's the mother of them all. That's what we're going to talk about today. But we'll see also that even this idol can be conquered by Jesus when we come to him with a soft heart and full surrender. So total surrender means simply we say to Jesus, all right, you are the potter. I'm the clay. Soft heart is when we come and we say, I want to be soft clay. I want to be responsive to you. I want to be submitted to you. I want to listen to your words and not resist. But this idol, it's the strongest, it's the sneakiest, the most seductive of all, the idol of me, myself, and I. Look at verse 11 and 12. So Jeremiah delivers uh, this pronouncement, the word from the Lord, but then the Lord says, yet I, I know what you're thinking. I'm shaping disaster against you. I'm devising a plan against you. And so I say to you, return, which is another way to say repent, every one of you from your evil ways. Amend your ways and your deeds. But, look at verse 12, but they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Oh, that right there is the epitome of the idol of me, myself, and I. I am going to do what I want to do. I want to be God. I want to call the shots. I'm going to be the judge of what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to be the ultimate authority in my life and in the lives of everybody else around me. This idol is so pernicious and powerful that even for many believers, it's the last idol to be exposed and expelled. For so many Christians, our identity in Christ, as important as we think it is in our lives, it actually is, is secondary at best. So along with this metaphor of the potter and the clay, I wanted to add another metaphor into the mix, one that maybe would not have made sense to, to Jeremiah and the ancient world at their time, but I want to talk about the solar system. The sun at the center of the solar system, all the planets, everything in this system orbiting around the sun. Who is the center of your life? Who's your potter? Who's the center of your solar system? If for some people, even for some who would call themselves Christians, Jesus is like a comet. Yeah, my focus on Jesus, it's, it's about as frequent as, you know, a comet, which comes every 75 years or 7,000 years, depending on the comet. Maybe they would say, once in my life, a long time ago, Jesus was a brilliant fixture in the sky of my soul. But that time passed, and I've gotten pretty busy just living my life right now. For others, Jesus is like a planet in your solar system. Oh, you'd say, Jesus is definitely important. In fact, he's the biggest planet in my solar system. He's an important part of my life. Emphasis on the word part. 
He's part of my life. Yeah, really important part. Of all the things I got going on, I, I really try to pay attention to Jesus every once in a while. But there's a difference between that and the few who say, no, actually, Jesus is the sun in my solar system. He is the constant reality in my life. He is what holds everything together. He's my focus. He's my center. He's everything. And what we learn from the parable of the four different soils, our gospel reading today, is that even among believers, that attitude, that posture is really rare. Did you notice okay, the seed in the parable stands for the word of God? So the, the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good those are all people that are listening to the words of God. So it's not, he's not even talking about the world out there. He's talking about us in here. And he's saying among those who are listening to the word of God, three of those four soils prove unfruitful in the end. And only one is producing fruit. That's a sobering word. But we say, yeah, following Jesus is convenient, great. But the moment it becomes bothersome or gets in the way of my plans, well, then I'll, I'll stop going to church regularly. I'll stop seeking God and his word in prayer. And I will not care whether or not I'm becoming more like Jesus every day in my words, in my actions, and in my pursuits. Rather, I'm going to pursue what I want to pursue. And by the time of Jeremiah, that had basically become the default attitude and, and belief and practice of just about everybody in Israel. Look again to verse 15. My people have forgotten me. They've forgotten that I am the potter and they are clay. They've forgotten that I am the center of their solar system. They've moved me out. They've put something else or themselves in the center. And would God say this of you today? She's forgotten me. I used to be the sun in her sky. I used to be the center in his life. They've forgotten me. Now, in a passage with a lot of bad news, we read the whole chapter 18, there's a lot of bad news. It's always a good practice. It's always an important question to say, but where's the good news in this passage? Where's the good news? Here's the good news. We read it in verses 7 through 10. It said, if I've planned good, but they turn to evil, then I will destroy them. But if I've declared evil and they turn from that evil, I will do good to them. I, as the potter, reserve the right for course correction. I've declared one thing. I will do it different if they respond to my word. And so the threat of judgment always includes the promise of mercy for those who repent and who receive his word with meekness. And God says, make me the center let me be the potter, and it will go well for you. Be soft clay in my hands. Be surrendered to me. Be obedient. Be listening for my voice, and it will go well with you. I promise. And it's hard for us to give up control. That's always a hard thing to do. But we have a potter who we can trust. We have a potter who is utterly and completely trustworthy. 
And moreover, we have a potter. Get this. We have a potter who became clay. Isn't that right? Isn't that what Jesus did? God, who was our potter, yet he also said, but I'll become clay. And I'll actually show you what it means to be soft clay, surrendered to God, moldable, fashioned by my Father in heaven. And as we look at the life of Jesus, and especially when we read the Gospel of John, one of the clear themes that stands out to us is Jesus cared more than anything about doing his Father's will. That's what he cared about. I just, I just want to do my Father's will. I just want to be obedient to the potter, my potter in heaven. My Father in heaven, my potter in heaven. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. Jesus said, my food, the thing that sustains my life, is to do the will of him who sent me. And of course, at the climax of his life, at the struggle in the garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Not my will, but your will, Father, be done. So we can trust this potter. He is a trustworthy potter most especially because he's the potter who became clay for us and showed us what soft clay looks like. So who is the God of your life? Who is your potter? Who's the center of your solar system? Is it Jesus? Or is it that strong, sneaky, seductive idol of me, myself, and I? Look again at verse 12. They say... This is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Now you might look at that and you say, well, that's not me. I know better than to say that, at least out loud. Maybe it's hard for you to answer that question of who is truly at the center of your life. Who is truly the center of your solar system? Maybe that's a heart. Maybe you say, I, I don't know how to answer that question. So for the next 10 minutes or so, I, I want to spend the rest of this time helping us identify what are the indicators that perhaps you have made yourself the center of the solar system. And then I want to talk about, but what is maybe the one indicator that you have made Jesus the center of your soul? So first, what are those indicators? What are three indicators that you've actually, yes, you've in fact succumbed to this idol and you've put me, myself, and I at the center of your solar system. So three things. And to understand this, we're actually going to look through the lens of our relationships to one another. It's an interesting phenomenon that you can learn a lot about how you're thinking about God and your relationship to God by looking at your relationship to others. So that's the lens that we're going to come to this through. So indicator number one, if in your relationships, if you are one who frequently insists on your own way, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not insist on its own way. And what was that key word in verse 12? Stubbornness. How stubborn are you? How much are you insisting on your way and how much are you saying, okay, let's, let's do it your way? Or, all right, that's not what I want, but let's, let's do that. Okay, I defer to you. How often are you saying that? Because a Christian with Jesus at the center of his or her life is very practiced at saying, not my will, 
but your will be done. We're used to saying your will be done so that it would make sense that we would be saying your will be done to other people, at least with some regularity. So if you're never saying, if you never find yourself saying, let's, let's do what you say, sure, your will be done to the people in your life, then that's probably a good indication that you are not saying, actually, your will be done to God. Similarly, number two, the second indicator that you might have put yourself at the center of your solar system, you're trying to be your own God, is if you do not respond well to correction. So this is like when the clay gets hard. Okay, get out your your clay again. Everybody get a little sleepy. Get out your clay on the wheel, start spinning it. Oh no, it sat out overnight. It's all dry and cracked. I'm trying to mold it. I can't do anything. It's hard. You resist the correction and the, the pressure of the potter's hands when you don't respond well to correction. And again, through the lens of our relationships to others, how do you respond when others correct you? Do you listen? Do you listen first, speak later? Are you open to reason or do you get defensive? Do you shut down any argument? Uh, Look at verse 18. In Jeremiah's situation, this is exactly what happened. So he's bringing a word that he's hoping will turn the hearts of the people. And how do they respond? Verse 18, they said, come, let's make plots against Jeremiah. The law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. In other words, what he's saying is a bunch of hogwash. Come, let us strike him down with the tongue. Is that happening right now? anywhere in our world? Striking down with the tongue. Let's strike him down with the tongue. Let's not pay attention to any of his words. So when Jeremiah brings a word of correction, how do the people respond? Hardness of hearts. They do not respond well. And if we do not respond well, when somebody brings correction to us, that's probably a good indicator that we're not very receptive to God's correction either. Similarly, another indication on this is How often are you confessing? Just in your own daily prayer life. It should be a daily part of your prayer of admitting your faults, something that you did that was wrong, a sin, a weakness, and continually asking God for help. As a Christian and someone who knows the mercy of God, that's not a scary thing for us. But if regular confession is not a part of your daily life, that might be an indicator that you're not seeking to be corrected, you're not open to correction, and that actually, secretly, seductively, The strong idol of me, myself, and I is at the center of your solar system. So how well do you respond to correction? How well do you respond to correction from others? How often are you insisting on your own way? And the third indicator that you might have actually moved to make yourself the center of the solar system is if you find yourself trying to do a lot of God's jobs for him, for yourself. All right, so here's what I mean. Do you find yourself getting defensive? Needing to defend yourself because you've forgotten God is your defender. I have to vindicate myself. Have you forgotten that God will vindicate you and you do not have to vindicate yourself? But if you've moved yourself to the center of the solar system, you have to vindicate yourself. If you find yourself defensive, that's where you're going to go. So let me just tell you, if you choose to make yourself 
God in the center of your solar system. Here's, here are a few other things you're going to have to do. If you're going to be God, you need to be the one to give life and energy and strength to yourself. So you better drink a lot of coffee and get all the self-help books you can from the shelf. But I tell you what, they're not going to help. If you're going to be God of your life, you have to lead yourself by yourself, which means you have to have a detailed plan of your life. And it's up to you to execute and follow through. If you're going to be God of your life, then you're going to have to justify yourself. That means you're going to have to explain to yourself and the world and prove that you're a good person. And when you feel guilty, you're going to have to take care of that. You're going to have to get rid of your own guilt. You're going to have to find a way to absolve yourself from your own guilt. You're going to have to comfort yourself. You're going to have to heal yourself. You're going to have to provide for yourself. You're going to have to give meaning and purpose to your life and prove why your existence is valuable to the world. You're going to have to give peace to yourself. And if you fail at this, your life is going to be riddled with anxiety. And you're going to have to be stronger than anyone and everything that you come up against because if you're not, you're going to be in fear your entire life. And last and most tragic, if you make yourself God of your life, then you need to be the infinite supply of love for yourself. And God is standing here saying, but I want to do all of that for you. And I can do all of that for you. Will you let me? Will you let me be the potter? Would you rejoice to be the clay? Would you make me again the center of your solar system? One of the clearest markers here that I, that I just enumerated, one that's most helpful for me, kind of the, the first uh, you know, light to start blinking and flashing, is the self-justification, the, the defending myself. So if you find yourself defensive, that's a good indication that you're, you're starting to shift away from, from having God at the center of your life. Now, maybe I'm the only one in the room who does this, but when I find myself moving into a, a self-defending or self-justifying stance, I, I find that I'm having a lot more conversations to the air. Oh, come on, you do this too, right? I know that I'm getting in a self-justifying mode when all of a sudden... I'm defending myself to the air. I'm lecturing people in my imagination. Sometimes it's just a generic audience, but sometimes it's specific people in my life that I'm lecturing. Oh, and I love it when they say something really stupid and clearly wrong. Then I get to roll my eyes and make this face like, oh, really? Let me tell you the business. And it's crazy, but I win every single time. Fantasy Brett is batting a thousand. But all this self-justification that fantasy Brett does is really bad for real Brett. Especially when real Julie walks in the room and finds me talking to the air, complete with hand gestures. <laughs> what? Uh, no, nothing. I was just, you know, I was working on my, um, oh, I was justifying myself. I admit it, that's what I was doing. When we get into that mode of feeling like we need to justify ourselves, that may be one of the early indicators. Hey, the center of gravity has shifted. I've forgotten 
that God stands ready to be the center of my solar system. So when I try to start doing God's job for him, that's the third indicator, along with not doing well at receiving correction and insisting upon my own way. So what's the one indicator that Jesus is at the center of my life? What's the one indicator that he has become the potter and I am the clay? Well, back to the parable of the soils. Jesus gives us a picture in the fourth soil of what happens where the heart is open and receptive to the word of God. When you throw a a wheat seed, a grain of wheat into the ground, what pops up? Wheat. When you throw barley into the ground, what pops up? Barley. And Jesus said in his parable, the seed stands for the word of God. And the Bible tells us that the word of God, capital W, is Jesus himself. This means that God wants to sow Jesus into the soil of your heart so that you become more and more like Jesus. So that the Jesus seed would produce a Jesus tree that is then producing Jesus fruit. Or what Jesus refers to in other parables as the kingdom of heaven. Heaven begins to grow in your heart when your heart is soft clay and receptive soil to his words. So the number one indicator that Jesus is at the center of our life is that daily, more and more, we're becoming more and more like him. We're looking more and more like Jesus. Now, if you want to know, how do I do a quick diagnostic of, of am, I, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Galatians 5 and Matthew 5. Easy to remember because they're both fives. Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 5, it's the Beatitudes. You run through these lists and then you begin to see what does the fruit, what does Jesus' fruit looks like? What well, looks like love? How are you doing in loving the people in your life right now? It looks like joy in the midst of any circumstance. There's always a reason for joy and hope in the Lord. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. How are we doing on patience right now? It looks like kindness in our words, in your online presence. Are you kind? Are you displaying goodness, faithfulness? Are you displaying gentleness and self-control? Self-control in what you hold back, what you do not say. Or the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, but you say, we're in crisis right now, Brett. Now is not a time to be poor in spirit. And Jesus would say, now of all times is the time to be poor in spirit. Now is the time to mourn. Now is the time to be meek. Where is meekness? Now is the time to hunger and thirst for righteousness and yes, for justice. But also, what's the next one? Now is the time for mercy. Are you merciful? Are you being gracious? Again, in your online presence, are you being gracious? Now is the time for purity of heart, for those who are peacemakers and those who will last and endure under persecution. This is Jesus' fruit. And in time of upheaval, such as we are in, that's like the potter's hands on the clay. Times of upheaval can be extremely transformative. That pressure that the master potter is applying to the clay, it can be so transformative if we're open and receptive. But in this time of testing and upheaval, what is being revealed about you? 
Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it those virtues that we find in the Beatitudes or not? Is it something else? If it's something else, it may be that Jesus is no longer the potter. He's no longer the center of your solar system. But thanks be to God, as we said earlier, with the threat of judgment always comes the promise of mercy for those who repent. So let's finish with this prayer of repentance that I would imagine every single one of us, to some degree, can pray. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's open ourselves to the Lord and His transforming power. Father, pour out the water of your Spirit now to soften our hearts. Remove the idol of me, myself, and I. We renounce and utterly reject that idol from the center of our solar system. Jesus, I've forgotten to put you at the center. I put myself at the center. Please forgive me. Would you be the center? And would you send the seed of your word into my life? Soften my heart. Make it fertile and receptive soil for the seed of your word to grow. And make me and make us as a people more like you. For the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.